Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome back to another installment of New Books and Poetry's month-long celebration of the chapbook, Chapbook of Palooza. I'm your host, Jen Fitzgerald. Daniel Borzetsky's books include In the Murmurs of the Rotten Carcass Economy, Night Boat, Forthcoming, The Book of Interfering Bodies, Night Boat, 2011, and The Ecstasy of Capitulation, Blaze Box, 2007. His poetry translations include Raul Zurita's The Country of Planks, forthcoming Action Books, Song for His Disappeared Love, Action Books 2010, and Jamie Louise Waymoon's Port Trockel, Action Books 2008. His chapbooks include Data Bodies, Green Lantern 2013, Bedtime Stories for the End of the World, Blue Books, forthcoming. His writing has been translated into Spanish, French, Bulgarian, Romanian, and Turkish. His works have been recognized by grants from the Penn American Center, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Illinois Arts Council. Welcome, Daniel. Hello. <laughs> so, could you please talk to us about how this new collection came into being? Um, I can try to, sure. Um, so, the collection called Bedtime Stories for the End of the World, and um, Started, I mean, in some ways came out of uh, my last, um, the last couple books that I've been writing. So the, the Book of Interfering Bodies, which you mentioned, and the forthcoming In the Murmurs of the Rotten Carcass Economy, both of which I think have been very much focused on, um, I don't know, uh, America in the time of data and neoliberal health. Uh, so I would say that that's maybe a starting point um, for this, uh, this little collection, mm-hmm. um, maybe in particular, uh, especially the first piece, The Performance of Becoming Human, is maybe combining some of that with um, maybe kind of transnational issues of immigration and the border, uh, which seem kind of, which, which are prominent throughout some of the newer work that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. So when you set out to um, write a piece, uh, the creation and revision process uh, must be intense. These are long-form, sometimes colloquial, sometimes surreal pieces. So what is that creation and revision process like? Mm. Um, I I don't know. I just like write with my head down between mm. my legs, with my eyes closed, and just like vomit out a bunch of shit for like, you know, uh, six days. And then like I look at it later and um, try to figure out what it is. Um, no, I don't know. I mean, um, it's hard to sort of understand like how the work that you made came about. I sort of write these little bursts uh, um, and often don't write for a long time. Um, the, the revision process, you know, there's, like you said, there's a lot of words. So I think there's sort of lots of opportunities to get rid of some of those words, but it doesn't tend to be all that structural, you know, tends to, um, tends, tends to, once it sort of comes out, um, this form has been, um, 
little bit self-sustaining. I, I don't know if that helps to answer. Yeah, um, well, structurally, I understand that they don't necessarily follow any type of traditional form, but um, psychologically, consciously, uh, synaptically, I think that they absolutely follow a form and trajectory, for sure. Oh, yeah, sure. No, no, I'm not saying they, they don't follow a form. Um, just um, that, um, yeah, no, no, I'm not thinking so much about it in the vision. I guess I should say, too, that, that a lot of these pieces are... Um, accessing other texts and other um, ideas in, in lots of different ways. So that's like the first piece I mentioned, uh, the performance of becoming human. I don't know the first line. Uh, I'm just going to read it. I have it here. It says, did you hear the one about the female body that was hollowed out and filled with fronds that came out of her eyes after she discovered her husband had only been married uh, to us, to her. So as to demonstrate to his friends that he could enter the upper class. Uh, so that's kind of, immediately accessing a short story by the Puerto Rican writer Rosario Ferre called The Youngest Doll, um, where she makes these dolls that are replications of her nieces, uh, and it ends with this incredible scene with prongs coming out of one of the doll's eyes. Um, there's a lot of other kind of texts. It references uh, Speedy Gonzalez, it references different newspaper articles, uh, it references... Um, a book uh, called Senselessness by Horacio Castellanos Moya. So I think there's sorts of lots of um, different notions um, going on, uh, lots of different texts as well as, I don't know, poetic ideas that I'm thinking about. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I want you to share one of these works, and they are long, so unfortunately we only have time for one, but I'm hoping that you can read The Devouring Economy of Nature. I can, sure. The Devouring Economy of nature. Let's begin at the end, she says. The best way to end a sentence is with the word blank. It is midnight and I am lonely and your blank is the blank of my blank. Don't psychoanalyze me all the time, he says to himself. Just because I can't get it up doesn't mean I have unresolved issues about my parents taking me as a child to an execution on a Sunday afternoon in August. In fear, he trampled over a basket of delicious food that belonged to some neighbors, fellow spectators at the execution, and years later, when he is in bed with his wife, having erectal issues, he keeps remembering the basket of food he tripped over. He ran through the party that was so thrown to celebrate the hanging of the other body. He trampled cold chicken and biscuits. Or he ran through the silhouettes of the hanging bodies. Or he possessed the fortitude needed to refuse to begin another act of language. I refuse to write the middle of the story. There is water everywhere. There is a flood on my street and I am sleeping in a body that is much too big for my bed. In fact, I'm, I am sleeping in a bed that is much too big for my house. The flood has changed the proportions, house over bed over body, or at least my perception of the proportions. I am incapable of thinking outside of scenes, which means I am incapable of thinking outside of images. Did you hear the one about the immigrant laborer who was run over by the tractor? In his pocket was a photograph of his cousin Ava, a 13-year-old in a refugee camp in another country. As the tractor ran him over, he kept shouting to his fellow workers, Please, somebody marry Ava, somebody marry Ava. And to mourn the death of the mutilated bodies, the children sang a song called Other People's Bodies. They sang it to the tune of a current popular song. 
There was a dance routine that involved hand motions and little hops and the thrusting of booties in and out. And as the song developed, the progression of the data became increasingly relevant, for as the children sang, they slowly began to understand that they would never see their parents again, that they had been taken from their homes and tossed into the pools in order to fulfill the required data specifications outlined by the city, the state, and the country. Or a barbarian and an economist walk into a bar. The barbarian says, I dreamt we were in a swimming pool and you were swimming towards me. I was sitting on the wall and when you got to the wall, the wall and I dissolved into the water and the pool stretched out endlessly and there were hundreds of children swimming in the pool and they were looking for their parents. There were men in orange wetsuits painting lines throughout the water, over the water, really, and the lines were different colors and they stuck to the surface of the water and we understood that certain colors meant certain things. And you picked up a drowning child and said, here is a small piece of data. I won't tell you what this data means in relation to the other data that will determine the relationship between your desire to eat the children and the future prosperity of the nation. The economist orders two martinis and says to the barbarian, there is something frozen here. I see you standing in front of the pool, and I know that the you who is standing there is the you who has uttered this sentence so many times before. When you spit out the sentence, they will say that it did not come from your mouth, that it came from the mouth of the person who was performing this act of being you. In other words, linguistic theory opens the door for the possibility that we are not ethically responsible for our actions. And the barbarian says, even if money doesn't exist, there will always be an audience for economists. And they take the water from the river and put it in the back of several trucks. And from the dried up river, there emerges a country. And in the country, there are children who have been invented by people who made money in things that do not actually exist. And they don't say, why are you taking the water from the river? And they don't think, why are you shaving the fur from the bodies of our dogs? The children sit on the sofa, placed perfectly in a picturesque location on the river. The dogs are arranged so that they rest in front of the sofa. The photographer asks the children to smile so that the rest of the world can see how well we treat the displaced people. You want to see what you look like, the photographer says to the children. The children look at their image without recognition, stuck as they are in the fantasy life of the economists. And the barbarian says, do we really need these kids? Do I really need this job? The three dogs guard the two children. I will write their story, but I will not understand it. The doctor says, yes, yes, in Iowa, we love a war between states across borders, both real and imagined. Or, did you hear the one about the boy who was thrown into the fire? His charred meat was hacked up with a cleaver and fed to dogs while his parents watched from a cage. I have awful psoriasis and my skin itches so badly, and when I itch, it bleeds all over our sheets, but still I can't keep myself from scratching. The economist, formerly of the working class, only married so that he could demonstrate that it was possible for, quote, a kid like me to move into high society. According to the data, it is impossible for rich people to be friends with poor people. This, according to the data, is true in all societies. Thank you very much. Um, I really, this, this poem um, was the first one that I connected to in a pretty intense way, um, and I really enjoyed it. And um, I don't, you know, these are short formats right now because we have a uh, chapbook of Palooza, not my normal format. But I do want to ask you a question. Do um, you think that poetry has a job 
And do you think that it's doing it? Mm-hmm. You can no. be completely yeah. honest. And you can uh, you can tell me fuck off. I don't like that question. That's fine too. Um, no, I mean in a way. Okay. So all right. So the notion. I mean, if it's doing, it's a hard question to answer, right? I think because the implication is somehow that um, I think the implication is somehow that there should be some sort of tangible political value that poetry has, right? Um, and so on the one hand, I think the kind of notion that. Uh, the poem is going to sort of affect change um, is is a notion that, especially in our society, that absorbs everything and vomits it back out and doesn't sort of leave space for uh, our, our thinking is is not a particularly realistic one. Um, I guess um, the job I want poetry to do, and I don't sort of impose this on other people, but I guess what I want is a I don't know, a poetics of um, neoliberal hell uh, that is um, kind of engaging with and representing uh, the ways in which we are stuck in both a kind of a national and transnational neoliberal hell and how it determines um, all of these things that we see and all of these decisions that we make and all of these words that we use and I don't know, the very contexts in which we write. I don't know that I would impose that on other people, but I guess it's, you know, saying that their poetry needs to do this, but I guess it's what I want, and it's not particularly abstract, and it's pretty didactic, and mm-hmm. um, I'm not super, um, I'm not super interested in um, conversations about, um, like, diction and form and what kinds of sort of approaches to that make you a better, I don't know, um, a better Marxist or something like that. But I think that, um, I think that um, the ability to sort of write directly and say how crappy the world is in beautiful ways is kind of utopian and mystical and kind of terrible at the same time. Wow. Um, no, I, I love that answer, especially, especially the end. Um, I know that in my own work and work that I connect to, that just allowing the impulse to be social um, is something that poets resist. And I've often had the conversation, is there a difference between political poetry and social poetry? And um, the idea is that it comes from the same impulse, but political poetry seeks action, social poetry seeks awareness. I mean, is that something that you think as well? Um. Can I just ask, how how do you mean social poetry? Um, Poetry that raises awareness about a condition, like whether it be um, documentary poetry. Um, I can think of Nikki Finney's Left, when she just wrote about a moment. She didn't ask anybody to do anything. She didn't Mm -hmm. try to incite some type of action. She was just like, look at what happened on top of this house for this week. Right. Here's how I, I think I would answer the question, which is I think we kind of distinguish between acting and thinking in ways which uh, I find um, kind of problematic and in, in that, you know, clearly, like, if we're thinking about political action, like there needs to be activism and there need to be people seeking to change the world by fighting on the streets in real ways, right? That we can say that's action. Um but then we sort of see, we, we separate the sphere of thinking, or I don't know, um, poetry, let's say, um, as something separate, as if there's no kind of value in thinking through these things, right? And um, sharing your thoughts and having a space to think 
through um, all these, I don't know, whatever conditions, problems, context that we live in, and that there's in itself a political value in being able to do that, which um, is is necessary in and of itself, and which I, I don't know that we need to separate necessarily from that. Okay. Yeah, I wish we had more time for this, and um, I am going to end this with an invitation to um, come on when your full length is released, and that maybe we can do this again if that's something that you're interested in, and you don't have to answer now. Um, but thank you very much for coming on and for speaking with us and for sharing this work. Uh, you're welcome, and I would be happy to return. Awesome. Uh, this is Jen Fitzgerald with New Books and Poetry, reminding you to support all the arts, but especially poetry. <laughs>